This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode 110 of Go To Grandma, originally airing on Zoomer Radio on September 16th, 2023. I'm your Go To Grandma, Kathy Buckworth, or at least I hope to be, as I deliver the fun and facts today's grandparents need to know about. There are ins and outs of being grandparents, mostly ins, of course. So today I'm taking you outdoors to discover some great activities and adventures with our grandkids, and then indoors to find out if and how we can incorporate some of our grandparent pieces, or in fact pieces from our own grandparents, into our decor style today, and maybe convince our millennial kids to do the same. We head outdoors first with Lisa Sefton from Destination Ontario, who is back on the show to tell us all about the great places in our province to see the fall colours and explore fun fall fairs and activities with our grandkids. You're going to want to write these down. Next, if there's a decorating trend going on, you know interior designer and television personality Kimberly Selden is going to have an educated opinion on it. What pieces should we keep from our grandparents to incorporate into our homes? Can we blend some older vintage pieces with newer modern ones? And if so, what does Kimberly recommend? This new style of generational mixing is called Grand Millennial Style, and I know Kimberly will have some grand comments to make on it. On a related note, after our discussion, I may have to rethink a certain feature wall I have. On our Take 5 with RBC interview today, we look at why it might be better for Canadians spending time in the U.S. to have a U.S. domiciled bank account versus a U.S. dollar bank account in Canada. Heading through my domicile now to make my way to my coffee as I hope you sit back and get ready to listen to another episode of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth. We head to the great Ontario outdoors next. Lisa Sefton is a broadcast media specialist with Destination Ontario. Her job is to showcase tourism attractions and experiences across Ontario. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks so much for coming back on GoToGrandma. Thanks so much for having me again, Kathy. I'm excited about this. My grandkids are almost four, two and a half, and just, you know, three or four months, so a tiny one. But there's so many great things to do in Ontario this fall, and it's starting out just beautifully warm. Hopefully it will continue that way. So where are some great places to see those fall colors start to change when it gets a bit cooler? You know what? There are so many different places you can go to see these fall colors. And as much as I hate to say goodbye to summer and the great weather we've been having over the last month, it's one of those things that I'm looking forward to this crisp air and really seeing, you know, the bright oranges and the bright reds and a great place to see that, which we've talked about in the past a little bit, is hiking trails. Um, Ontario Parks is a great place to go for a hike with the kids. They have trails of all levels. But the really neat thing about Ontario Parks is they have a fall color progression map on the website. So you can literally go to the website and see a map that shows progression of the color change across the province. So data is collected from all the provincial parks. And then on the map, it's reflected in a leaf icon, which can go anywhere from like light green to dark red. And it'll show you where colors are peaking. That's cool. I know. <laughs> That's it's really so cool. Amazing. Yeah. You know what? It, it's awesome because 
let's say you're going to a provincial park, it's a great way to check out what the colors are like. But if you're just, you know, wanting to go hiking at a local um, area close to home, you can go on this fall color mm-hmm. progression map, look up your closest provincial park and see where fall colors are, what stage they're at in your area of the province. So that's a great way to check out fall colors. There's also botanical gardens that really focus on fall and the changing season. Uh, Royal Botanical Gardens in Burlington has a great garden and a what's in bloom section on their website, which will actually tell you by season what you can expect to see in terms of fall color in the garden. There's also Toronto Botanical Garden. Um, They also have a what's in bloom section. So if you want to take the grandkids for a little tour around the gardens, you can do a self-guided tour. But the nice thing about it is you can check out the website ahead of time to see, you know, what you can expect to see changing really in that area. I'm just trying to think. Another thing is train tours. I know kids love trains. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, right? Boys, girls, they all love it. York Durham Heritage Railway is hosting its annual fall festival at Heritage Station. Um, It runs until October 1st. And not only do you get a train ride, but the kids get to go in a hay maze. They have a petting zoo. They even get to visit a pumpkin patch. So it's kind of a fun way to have some activity, but also get your train ride in to see those fall colors. South Simcoe Railway is also offering their fall color train excursions. They start at South Simcoe Railway Station in downtown Tottenham. And these rides run all October, uh, four trains a day. Great, great fun for the kids. And lastly, in terms of fall color viewing, I wanted to mention, if kids aren't too afraid of height, Mm -hmm. there's the open-air gondola ride at Blue Mountain, which actually takes you up the mountain by gondola where one of the ski lifts are. And you see beautiful views of Georgian Bay and the fall colors changing. Similarly... I've done it many. I've done the Blue Mountain one many times. It's awesome, and actually, right close to there is that treetop trekking as well, right, where you can really see the fall colors. You're in the trees, which is cool. That's right. That whole yeah. area, because of the mountain, you can just really they they really pop those mm-hmm. colors. Um, and in the Niagara region, there's the Whirlpool Aero Car, where you ride an antique cable car over the Niagara River and over the Classics Rapids. It's surrounded by trees of the Niagara Gorge, and so it's also a really good place to check out the fall colors. And the kids can go for a ride at the same time. So the colors are fantastic, but are there other fall-themed events and attractions that you just know the kids are going to love? Well, speaking from my three children, (laughs) they love going to a pumpkin farm, Mm -hmm. and um, pumpkin patches are great places to visit in the fall. So many great activities at this time of year, and a lot of them allow you to pick your own pumpkin. And we have a great article on our website listing pumpkin farms across the province, but I'll quickly mention Downey's Farm in Caledon is celebrating Pumpkin Fest. Um, It starts September 23rd and runs all the way into Halloween, uh, October 31st. And kids can travel on wagon rides. They can pet the farm animals, and they have a huge corn maze there. Uh, There's also Rounds Ranch in Elmville toasting their pumpkin mania until October 29th. Tractor rides, zip rides, pony rides, a ropes course, and, of course, a visit to the pumpkin patch where you Mm -hmm. can pick your pumpkin to take home. Apple picking is a great activity to do with the kids this fall. And depending on the variety of the apple, picking can happen right up until mid-October, which is great. Mm -hmm. A couple orchards that I'll mention is decent apple orchards in Leamington. They have wagon rides to the apple orchard. A lot of kid-approved activities at the Fun Acre. And if you time it right, they also have pick-your-own-pumpkins, which is fun. And the Farmer's Pantry in Clarksburg. Another great spot to take the grandkids. Uh, They have wagon rides, mini golf, a corn maze, 15 varieties of apples to pick. So lots of fun for the kids. And then on the more spookier side, there are some pumpkin-themed events that are 
you know, at a little bit of darkness <laughs> in, uh, in terms of, you know, you visit them at night. Mm-hmm. But Pumpkin Ferno is a spectacular outdoor exhibit with thousands of artistically designed and hand-carved pumpkins. You can literally walk through this world of um, illuminated pumpkin displays. Like, you can find huge dragons or creatures of the sea, and some of them are, you know, 12 feet tall. So, it really is a must-see, and there's a few of them happening across the province. Um, there's a pumpkin ferno happening at Discovery Harbor in Penetanguishene, mm-hmm. uh, October 4th to 29th. Pumpkin ferno is also happening at Upper Canada Village in Morrisburg. And there's also one happening in Sudbury at Dynamic Earth, uh, which runs weekends in October. So lots of fun. And Pumpkin Ferno is a great name. I mean, let's be honest, right? Totally. So we've got just a little bit of time left. Can you mention a few fall fairs that might be you know, interesting to young kids? Yes. There's so many fall fairs. A lot of them start in, you know, all times of years, even though they say fall fair. Some of them start in August, for example. I'll quickly mention some coming up. Markham Fall Fair mm-hmm. is uh, starting September 28th. Dorchester starts October 6th. Woodbridge Fall Fair st- starts October 7th. And, you know, who doesn't like a fall fair? So many ways to celebrate um, harvest at this time of year. There's so many great activities. And, and as I say the weather's great right now. We're looking forward to some fall crisp air, of course. And everything you've mentioned, we can find at Destination Ontario.com. And any other advice you'd like to give people before they head out? You know what? My best piece of advice is to check out the Ontario uh, Fall Progression Map at OntarioParks.com. We also link to it at DestinationOntario.com. But it's a great place to really see where colors are across the province. And it's fun for the kids to watch, too. They can watch weekly and see how the province changes. Thank you so much. I've been talking with Lisa Sefton from Destination Ontario. So we can find Lisa on Instagram at, at OntarioLisa with two eyes or at Ontario Travel. Thanks again, Lisa. Thank you. Kimberly Selden is a designer, broadcaster, and writer. Kimberly Selden Design Group is a thriving interior design firm with offices in Toronto and Los Angeles. Parallel to her design career, Kimberly is an in-demand TV personality, hosting three of her own shows for HGTV Canada and currently appearing nationally on CityLine on City TV. Good morning, Kimberly Selden. Thanks for being back on GoToGrandma this morning. Are you kidding? I've been waiting for an invitation. It took weeks. What's going on? I don't know. And the last time we chatted, I think we talked about creating space for grandkids sleepovers, which was amazing. Um, And this week, this time, I want to talk to you about something I'm seeing called Grand Millennial Decor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you are seeing it. I am seeing that. And what it is, it's a combination, I suppose, of that grandparent style with the millennial look, people who are decorating their houses now and how we sort of pull in pieces from our grandparents or I'm a grandparent from my style into the millennial world. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious that you said that. I see I don't think about our furniture being the grandmother stuff. I think about our grandmother's furniture being the grandmother stuff. And somehow I miss the fact that we are the grandparent generation now. Okay, so thank you for sorting that out. It's so true, um, right? It's so true. Yeah. And so I'm not just talking about the Victorian lamps. I'm talking about stuff that, damn it, I bought in like 1980. <laughs> How's that? Right? And is I still think is cool. Right. Well, the good news is for so long, so many of us have showed our children things that we owned. It's that this is amazing. You should have it when you move out. And they've like rolled their eyes and turned their noses up at it. But now all of, a, all of a sudden they are discovering things which we bought or our parents bought and have 
all that, you know, good sentimental value to us, they're discovering it and acting, of course, like it's brand new and they made it up. So it's kind of fun to see them explore some of these concepts we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, so I'm going to throw a few things at you and you tell me whether you think that's something we should be looking at today or how we can incorporate it, I suppose, today. What about those ornate chandeliers? You know what? They look amazing in a really modern room. And so the first thing I'm going to say is really important if you're going to try to introduce this. If you want it to completely take over, then your whole house has to be that direction. But I don't think that's what you're asking. I think you're asking how can you incorporate a few of these things into what you already have and make it work? Mm -hmm, Exactly. Okay. So in that case, if everything is modern, if 80% of what you have is contemporary uh, or modern and clean and sleek, and you throw in this sexy granny chandelier, it will be phenomenal. It will be the only thing everybody notices when they walk in. It's kind of the 80-20 principle, I call it. Contrast directs people's attention. And if you think of the old Frasier TV show, he had that really sexy uh, contemporary apartment with all this beautiful African art. Nobody remembers the African art. They all remember the lazy boy. That's because it was the 20% that gets your attention. So that chandelier is actually going to be a real scene stealer. I love the term sexy granny chandelier. I'm so using that. That works for me. <laughs> and what about, you know, my parents, um, and I'm sure a lot of people have collections, whether they're silver spoons, whether they're pottery. My mom had a ton of torquey pottery. We've incorporated a bit of it into our decor. What sort of unique things can we do with those collections? How can we display them without them taking over perhaps the way they did our grandma's parlor? Well, again, I think the secret is to make sure that you're not trying to make your design scheme half contemporary and half granny. It doesn't work. You've got to make a decision. Choose a lane. And so assuming that most of uh, the millennials are kind of going contemporary and they have a lot of CB2 furniture in their house, You know, a collection that's all grouped together, whether it's porcelain or needlepoint, will be really interesting and feel chic as opposed to too much of it. And it's going to look like "Mm, you weren't sure where you were headed here. Right. And when we think about a room, as you're talking about the 80-20 rule, I love this rule. Where do we see things like like wallpaper? Because that can really take over a whole room. And I know wallpaper is, you know, there's so many varieties of it, obviously. But any rules, so to speak, on sort of when you want a vintagey wallpaper look? Oh, my gosh. That's such a good question, because you're right. Once you, you know, you paper four walls, you're well past the 20% right. rule. <laughs> and you've kind of flipped it all on its head. So at that point, you kind of want it to be 80% you know, grand millennial. And then the 20% that's going to be shocking and, and awe-inspiring is going to be something modern and something that really doesn't look like it belongs. But on the other side, a lot of manufacturers are taking those, you know, vintage patterns and just making them feel a little bit more contemporary. They're changing the color so it's less muddy. It's a little cleaner. Um, so you can also kind of get the vibe, but have it feel like it's more contemporary. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And as you say, it's important to sort of think about the vibe that you want to set for the room itself. It's a dining room or a bedroom or, or a kitchen. My mom used to wallpaper the kitchen all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because there's a lot going on in the kitchen already, I bet that was a busy, happy hub for the family, (laughs) right? You know? It was. But I'll tell you what not to do. Sure. Do not, under any circumstances, don't, don't, don't create a feature wall with some, you know, vintage floral 
pattern because it will really be hard to create any balance in the room. Like nobody Mm. will notice anything but the feature wall. That's all that they'll notice. So if you have a great sofa, beautiful chair, amazing, you know, chandelier and lamps, forget it. Every single person who walks in your house is going to go, great wallpaper. Interesting. Oh, that's really something to keep in mind. Okay, now I have a really hard question for you. (laughs) Is there ever a place for wicker? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Who told you otherwise? Of course. Like, well, you know, I have my family background. My parents are from the South. And so wicker is something that went on your porch, like, mm-hmm. for sure, year round. It's a little trickier here in Canada, right? Because we don't have outdoor spaces that stay outdoor all year long. It's not terribly sturdy furniture. So I would say, you know, perhaps you're going to use small accessory pieces made of wicker, not necessarily furniture that's made of wicker in the house. You know, it could be a magazine rack or it could be an end table. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And then if we want to add a really personal touch, of course, we might want to include some family photos of our grandparents and great-grandparents, etc. Any advice on sort of the frames that you want for that? Are you a fan of like the one big frame with 10 pictures in it or, or individual frames or, or it depends? Well, if it's a vintage photo, you want you always frame artwork to be consistent with what's inside the frame, right? So you wouldn't take your vintage grandmother photograph and put it in a black modern frame. It just doesn't feel like it fits. So always frame the artwork. Uh, You know, let the artwork lead what the frame is going to be. And I think, I mean, if your family looked like my family, you wouldn't frame those pictures. (laughs) But let's say you have a very attractive family. Or, you know, the opposite, super dour, what we will say sometimes if we're in a national gallery or something. What a handsome woman. (laughs) Yes. Put an elaborate frame on it and hang it over the fireplace. It can be really interesting. Interesting. And it's also a reminder to us all to take those photos of our grandkids and get them printed so we can hang them, not just have them living on our phone, right? Oh, I know. I guess it gets difficult depending on how many grandkids you have, right? Mm -hmm. You you feel like you must feel like you have to have, if you have one of Johnny, you have to have one of Rebecca. If you have two of Fred, you have to have three of, you know, anyway. Exactly. So if we want to get more advice, of course, where should we head online to find you, Kimberly? KimberlySeldon.com, for sure. For sure. And also all of our Instagram with all of your great design ideas. And we can go to Business of Design as well. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm going to go change my feature wall because I just did that last week. So. Oh, stop <laughs> it now. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Always nice to talk to you. Thanks, Kimberly. Marlene Atzori has more than 30 years of experience as a cross-border expert, both personally and professionally. Since the inception of RBC USA, she has led with advice, sharing the benefits of the unique cross-border banking while serving as the voice to the consumer. Welcome again, Marlene. And while I am a grandma, I am not yet retired and living down south like some of my friends. So today's topic sounds a little unfamiliar to me. What do you mean by a U.S. domiciled U.S. dollar bank account? Well, Kathy... Whether one is retired or not, knowing about the benefits of a U.S. domiciled account, especially one from RBC Bank, can make your cross-border lifestyle that much better. Basically, a U.S. domiciled or housed account is one that is housed or held within a U.S. financial institution. This means the account's transactions are operated through the Federal Reserve System, and it makes it easier to facilitate transfers or payments to other U.S. entities, including payments for U.S. 
store credit cards or other services. The best part of this is you don't need a social insurance number, or they call it social security number, or a U.S. address to hold an RBC bank account or visa for that matter. For example, for services like rentals, utility bills, or really anything you need to pay for can be made through your U.S. bank's online banking bill payment services or checks. And while paper checks may sound Mm -hmm. a little old school for many Canadians, they are still widely used in the U.S. Either of these options provide simplicity rather than having to go to a Canadian bank branch to pay for a wire to be sent south. Now, should you have a U.S. SIM card in your U.S. mobile phone, you can take advantage of person-to-person payments like Venmo Cash App. Now, these are third-party apps that are used in the United States by U.S. financial institutions like RBC Bank instead of e-transfers that are not available in the U.S. banking system. Well, a lot of this is certainly new information for me and a great checklist so far. So what are some of the other benefits of a U.S.-based account? Well, in addition to easy options for making payments, there are also benefits if you need to deposit a check in U.S. dollars. Check deposits can be made through remote deposit, which is a convenient option of taking a picture of the front and back and depositing it through online services through mobile or online. Alternatively, deposits can be made at U.S. ATMs that are designated for the service. And while there can be fees associated with bank accounts, generally these fees are more than offset by savings from the expensive services like wire transfers and foreign exchange conversions. And if the U.S. bank account is opened with a complimentary credit card, well, there'll be even more savings for shoppers as they can avoid the foreign transaction fees that can be incurred when purchasing in another currency. And these fees can be more than 2.5% of the overall purchase, which really add up. Well, everyone likes the ideas of cost savings, of course, but I also know you have a bit of a bias for RBC Bank US. (laughs) Are there some added considerations or benefits you can highlight for cross-border banking with RBC? Ah, Cassie, you know me well, (laughs) and I'm so glad you asked. The extra benefits of a U.S. domiciled account with RBC Bank would include the following. Instant and free transfers between Canadian Royal Bank account and your RBC Bank cross-border account. Access to over 50,000 no-fee ATMs, which also include ones with deposit capabilities. And if you've added a U.S. RBC Bank credit card to your services, you can shop for and return items in U.S. dollars, avoiding foreign transaction fees on U.S. purchases, and most importantly, the differences in exchange rates between purchases and return dates, which can add up. In addition to banking services for checking and savings accounts and credit cards, RBC Bank also provides offers for home equity 
and property financing services to Canadians across all 50 states. Now, as mentioned before, but worth saying again, no need for a U.S. social security number or U.S. address to bank with RBC Bank. If I may add just one final tip, to simplify access to U.S. cash in Canada, you may want to set up a U.S. savings account like an RBC e-savings account, which can hold funds in Canada generate interest, and is ready to transfer to your U.S. domiciled account. Or you can also hold our premium money market account, which offers FDIC insurance up to $250,000, which is liquid and accessible. That's the list, Kathy. And if you don't already have a U.S. domiciled account, I can help. I can make that referral. I certainly know who to go to, Marlene. Thank you so much for this again today. And if anybody listening wants more information, of course, we can go to rbcbank.com. Thanks again. Thank you. One should never be the oldest thing in one's house. Patsy Stone. Uh Uh-oh. No, no, I think I'm good. I have a few pieces from my parents and grandparents. And now, thanks to Kimberly, I know how to display them or maybe lose them in my home. Thanks to Lisa from Destination Ontario for letting us know how to get lost outdoors and at the same time find some fun and adventure with our grandkids. Next week on GoToGrandma, I talk with businessman and community volunteer leader Peter Van Dyke about how to engage our grandkids in volunteerism and supporting their community. And Rose Reisman, the author of 21 cookbooks, tells us how to interpret the best before and expiry dates on food products. You'll be surprised at how long you can keep things. Our Take 5 with RBC interview will give you something more to think about as we look at the latest economic outlook. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for coming by and please drop in next week as we continue this grand journey. You've been listening to me, your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at Kathy This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.